0: Welcome to Alive. I'm Christina Redko. Today in the show, we have Elizabeth Satoris. She has worked for decades for a new vision for science and for humanity. Elizabeth is an evolution biologist. She is also one of the loveliest persons I have ever met. On the very first Life episode, we talked about Dances of Life. Today, we are going to talk about Gaia's Dance.
1: Gaia's Dance was the first book I ever wrote, and I kept it in my computer all those years. Actually, I had just gotten my first computer when I was writing it, and it was given to me by Jim Lovelock, who created the Gaia Hypothesis. My computer was sent to me from England to my little Greek island, where I carried it up to my house on a donkey, (laughs) And then I revived it recently because it had that Greek storyteller's mode to it. Yes. And it wasn't very hard to update because so much of it, I didn't have to change much at all.
0: Gaia's Dance is a science book, but you went to Greece to write novels.
1: So after after the novels, I went back to science and that's when I wrote it. The reason I went back to science was I was walking on my little Greek island in the woods one day and a, a stick insect fell onto my arm. And I Mm -hmm. burst in tears because I had not seen one since I was a child in the Hudson Valley of New York State. I was born in Athens, New York, interestingly, not knowing I would end up as a Greek philosopher in Greece. (laughs) So seeing that stick insect on my arm and remembering how much I loved nature as a child and how alone in nature, it always spoke to me. If I couldn't climb a tree high enough to be where the woodpecker was... I could take my mind up to be with it. And no one had told me about separating mind from body or that you can't do that or that it's only your imagination. Things Mm -hmm. had not been taught to me yet. So I realized that while I had abandoned science because it felt like a suit too tight for me... And I had to, like a a butterfly coming out of a chrysalis, I had to break free of it and write novels to explain the human condition to myself. And then realizing I still want to tell the story as a scientist of what is the relationship between humanity and all the rest of nature. Why have we set ourselves apart from it in this strange way where we see nature just as a set of resources for our economy to use up? Fitting our economy gently into the ecosystems that we so depend on, that we are so part of. I like the the word ecosystem because it's inclusive that we are part of it.
0: And you talk also about one ecosystem within one ecosystem, like the notion of being embedded.
1: Yes, we are an inextricable part of nature. We can't get out of it any more than we can get out of our consciousness. (laughs) It's interesting that, that two things that Western science just cannot deal with is that fact that we can't get out of our consciousness, that all of the stories we tell ourselves about our world, all of our research and our explanations, Everything are all within our consciousness, our whole perception of the universe through human consciousness. So maybe very different from the consciousness of the trees and the butterflies and the rocks and everything else that indigenous peoples have always known to be as intelligent as we are. And another thing that science has swept under the rug is that it's always now that we are never in the past or the future. We can think of the past and the future. We can remember, we can project, but our experience is always in the same place now. It's as if time rolls through and we're always there in that midpoint of now. So why the name Gaia Dance for the book? why the name Gaia stands. Because the ancient story of Gaia, of course, comes from Greece, and she is Yea in Greek, or Ye, which in modern Greek is ye and means earth. So actually is earth. Just like in the Nordic cultures Erda, the Nordic goddess Erda, from which German Erde, the earth, comes. So these are ancient names for earth. So the Greek myth of Gaia says that Gaia the goddess was wrapped in white veils and dancing, spiral dances in the great cosmos, and then the rain fall on her, and from the white clouds surrounding her, she's surrounded by Uranos, the sky god. And so she turns into Earth gradually, and that's
0: why it's her dance and if you could summarize the story of the formation of Earth, what would you say?
1: Gaia's dance is really the story of how humans have seen themselves in relation to the Earth. After describing how the Earth is formed and how it evolves over time, it's the story of our human perception of ourselves in relation to the Earth and how that changes over time and where we need to go from here.
0: But I also know that in your scientific contribution, in terms of understanding what evolution is, you bring a lot of integrative thinking to what we define as Darwin's evolution. For me, the most
1: important discovery in studying evolution of Earth was a kind of maturation cycle where there's a youthful phase of competition that can become quite hostile, but is also very creative. And eventually, Mm -hmm. whatever is in this phase of evolution recognizes somehow that it's more energy expensive to compete with each other than to form cooperatives and collaborate with each other. So this began with the ancient bacteria, which for two billion years, half of Earth's evolution, were in this youthful phase of getting ever more creative and ever more competitive. And they caused the biggest problems of the ancient Earth, which was global pollution and global hunger. And these are the first species since those ancient times when only microbes populated the earth to repeat causing global hunger situations and also pollution. So when we look back at that, we see that eventually they form the cooperatives that we call nucleated cells, where the different kinds of bacteria gave up some of their DNA into the central library of the nucleus and so bound themselves to living within that big community. It's thousands of times bigger than bacteria are these nucleated cells. The next phase of evolution, those big cells side by side with the remaining bacteria keep evolving and the big cells, the nucleated cells go through their youthful phase until they mature into the cooperative phase as multi-celled creatures is what they build as cooperatives. So now you can fast forward to where we are, where we are trying to move from a network of cities around the planet, where cities, if they have evolved naturally, are living entities like they look like cells on a substrate from an airplane, nuclear hub with the big buildings and you see the agricultural regions, the pseudopods of the amoeba reaching out into the countryside, just like a nucleated cell. So we have to now weave these distributed cities around the planet into one global network. Not a centralized, top-down empire. For 6,000 years, we've been in the empire-building mode first real emperors and then we had national empires and now we have corporate empires running the world. And we have to move out of that now into our mature cooperative phase where we don't try to do a centralized one world government, but we're learning through our development of the internet how to do a distributed network like in your body. The brain is not in charge. It's a clearinghouse for information and every organ is part of the system. There's never monoculture in nature. It's always diversity, and there always has to be communion and communication among all the parts of the system. And that's what we're trying to evolve now. We're trying to move out of the empire-building mode into the mature cooperative mode where we develop our regional, local economies and tie them together through communications. That's the way of the future, a big network of caring and sharing local economies. It has to come from the bottom. It has to come from people. It can't come from a few authorities and dictators. So that's our job. I have
0: a question for you. When we have a lot of competition, we also have a lot of creativity. So when we are in the maturation phase, what happens to creativity? There's no reason to
1: stop being creative, just move into cooperative mode, especially because you're saving so much energy, in our culture, money. If you don't have to fight wars, if you're not wasting your resources on toxic chemicals and warfare and things of that kind, then you have the room for every individual to blossom. I like to say to make a better world takes many kinds of people. You may love writing poetry or or music, you may be an artist, you may be a computer repair person, you may be an inventive engineer, you may be interested in politics. Do what makes your heart sing because otherwise nobody will be attracted to do it with you. We have to become attractors for each other and to realize that none of us have to do it all, that we have this diversity that we should not see others as other, but as our friends and allies, and be thankful that we're not all alike. Nature never does monoculture. It's a stupid human invention to try to mm-hmm. clone things.
0: <laughs> Your clarity is just so beautiful, how you integrate.
1: It's about seeing the synthesis that it's already there. Mm-hmm. We have so taken things apart into pieces that we think we have to put them together instead of being able to see that whole drama and seeing all the pieces. And so what forces are at work, what historical forces through time and, you know, what's happening with our whole world. And we didn't even touch on the climate situation, but this is what will push us
0: now. Climate change will push us to do something different. We conclude this episode with a message from Elizabeth's website.
1: So I have tremendous hope for all of us humans together using our creative technology, our computers, in order to link each other, but that's linking our minds, our concepts, our visions, and above all, we need a very powerful vision to hold that butterfly image for us, to know where we wanna go, because the old system is very clear about what it wants, and we really do create our realities out of our beliefs. If we don't believe In a positive world in which all humans are liberated to express their creativity, we cannot build it. We must hold the vision very clearly and then go about doing whatever each of us loves doing most, knowing that the others will do the other parts. None of us has to do the whole thing. Together, we can really make it happen.
0: Piano in this episode was played by Justin Allen. He also happens to be my son's best friend since kindergarten. Beginning today, Alive will become a weekly show. You'll always have an episode followed by a short intermezzo. Then another new episode. Then another intermezzo. And live goes on. Thank you for listening please share, subscribe, support, and rate this show and all those amazing things you do with podcasts. Just go to alivepodcast.net. Engage with Alive by recording your questions into podinbox forward slash alive. This show celebrates the wonders of being alive.